comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. This is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe. What's up, guys? Hey. Out Now is a film podcast, which has Abe and I discussing new movies weekly. We also bring in a little discussion about the latest movie trailers, box office results and predictions, a retro review that has to do with the main feature of the week, games, and other fun stuff. This is episode 42, and the main feature of the week is The Grey, the new Liam Neeson-starring survival thriller directed by... written by Joe Carnahan. And, um... Joining us this week to not necessarily discuss the gray, but some other adventures that he's been on himself. We have from things I know about the movies and movie SmackDown, the Sundance Kid himself, Adam Gentry. What's up, Butch Cassidy's? Hey, <laughs> sub. Use enough dynamite there. Represent. Uh, and um, yeah, it's just gonna be Adam. We had another guest lined up, but things change, so it's just gonna be Abe and I talking about the gray because. Adam has not seen The Great. He's been busy up in the Sundance Film Festival for the past nine days, I'm hearing. Yikes, man. But hey, when you need someone who hasn't seen a movie to be your guest, who do you call? That's right, the Ghostbusters. Okay. Yes, <laughs> Ernie Hudson. Ernie Hudson. <laughs> okay. When you care enough to send the very best. I am putting my picture of me and Ernie Hudson in the show notes. <laughs> so that's the plan. So anyway, let's, let's kick things off here. Um, one announcement. Only the same one as always, iTunes reviews and ratings. Nice to get those. It helps promote the show. If you have any, you know, spare time at all, log on to iTunes, click, you know, whatever you need to, and, you know, give us a rating. It'd be, it'd be awesome. Or a review. It's really simple to do. But with that said, let's move on. i got a new segment I'd like to try out this week. It's called Last Thing You Saw. And it's, you know, excluding the movie that we're going to talk about this week, it's basically each of us will say the last thing we saw and try to give a very brief reaction to it. And with that said, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Abe start this one out. Cool. All right. Uh, last thing I saw was Moneyball. I watched it on the the way to work, and uh, it's a solid movie, and it was more solid the second time around. Cool. Uh, Adam, I saw It's Not Me, I Swear. It's a movie by uh, French Canadian filmmaker Philippe Falardeau, uh, my new buddy, by the way. Thank you very much. Cool. Um, the movie, uh, it's it's good, but the young man in the movie, the little boy, is one of the most disturbed kids I've ever seen in a movie. Sounds hilarious. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a surprising amount of humor you really wouldn't think. The laugh, uh, I didn't cry, but uh, who knows, maybe maybe Aaron might. It's possible. Well, he's known for crying around here, but, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wah, wah. Last thing I saw was Narc. Uh, Joe Carnahan's <laughs> second film is more of his breakout film, and that's a movie I really enjoy, so I was happy to watch it again. That's the one with Ray Liotta, right? Yeah, Ray Liotta and Jason Patrick. It's a solid cop drama. Nice. Um, okay, so that out of the way, let's do a little know everybody, where we try to 
get a get a feel for the tone of the podcast by asking each other a few questions related to the episode of the week and you know try to know everybody so i will start abe would you rather be trapped in isolation in a tropical island or be forced to deal with intense conditions amidst others are you talking about castaway versus <laughs> uh lost that's a tough one <laughs> Mm, I don't know. I, I think that I'd have to be with others because I, I, I'm pretty sure there would be no volleyball coming my way to be my only friend. I, yes, I specifically designed this situation so there would be no volleyballs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'd be with others. Okay. Yeah, because it's pretty intense just being there by yourself. Uh, and then, yeah, yeah, that was, that was, that's tough. All right. Uh, Adam. Yes, sir. Now, have you seen the trailer for The Grey? I have indeed. Okay, would this movie have been more terrifying with Falcor from Neverending Story or with wolves? I gotta go with wolves. I gotta go with wolves. Although if you put, Falcor is like a twenty foot long like dragon. But if you put uh, Taylor Lautner in there, it would have been even more scary. But for oh, completely different reasons, <laughs> it would have been horrifying. You know, they just couldn't handle that that, that many abdominal muscles. I had to mute my microphone because that was hilarious. <laughs> The Falcor thing? Yes. He's a 20 foot like dragon. He loves kids. Okay. But you asked which one was scary. What he says in the movie. If he loves kids, then, like, how is he scary? Oh, no. It's just, you know, he you've never seen the part where he's going to go scare Did those you just kids. just ask if he loves kids, how is he scary? Well, he's not giving them free candy. I, I assume he's, he's a genuine, friendly, friendly little dragon, lion thing. Anyway, all right, moving on. Okay, uh, all right, Aaron. Yes. If you were in a pinch, would you want Braveheart or Rob Roy on your side? That's a fun question because I love Rob Roy more than Braveheart, and Rob Roy is um, where I lie with that one. I think Rob Roy is that Rob Roy is one of those movies like Armageddon and Deep Impact, where they came out the same year. Rob Roy and Braveheart came out around the same time. And Braveheart got all the acclaim, but I like Rob Roy more. I think it's I think it's better. That's me. I know there's many that'll disagree, but I'm a fan of Rob Roy. I think Liam Neeson was of course badass in that movie, and Tim Roth is just a bastard in that movie. He's horrible. Tim Roth is a really good villain. I mean, he is. He makes a great like between him and if there was like a team up between him and Gary Oldman, that's <laughs> which I think there is actually. Isn't that um was it Rosencrantz and Guildenstein are dead? If there's a team up between those two, it's called You're Screwed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, Rob Roy, I freak on my side. He's he, and uh, Rob Roy foreshadows Liam Neeson's skill with the longsword, if any, or Kingdom of Heaven as well. But uh, yeah, Rob Roy, Adam. Yeah. Would you rather Liam Neeson trains you to mind your surroundings as a defender of the night, or always rely on a bigger fish as a Jedi? I totally. Want to, would want to be a Jedi. I mean, it's it's one thing too. I mean, think about it. If, if you're a Jedi, then technically you're, you're able, you're automatically able to mind your surroundings because you have the Force on your side. Boom. You. So you don't really need. It's kind of you kind of kill both birds at one stone. Plus, I mean, you can move crap around with your mind. You carry a dangerous lightsaber that you know, can cut through just about anything. Um, and you might even get like really cool long hair and maybe even an ability to regrow hair that you've lost. So I'm just thinking, like, you totally would want to be a Jedi. But particularly, come on, it's, his name is Qui-Gon Jinn. You could call yourself Python Pin or something. It'd be awesome. 
we now return from Adam's Geek Corner, and uh, no, that was a good answer. That was the correct answer. Pipe on pin. Pipe on pin and uh, Toby John Penelope. <laughs> They'd fight Darth Paul. I love this hipster version of Phantom Menace. It just keeps going, man. It just keeps going. Yeah, it'll be better than the, the 3D version. I saw the trailer for that. Oh my gosh, it looks... Com- the trailer's almost completely in 2D. <laughs> it's like, come on! All right, let's go with that. Let's go with a fun question, a pretty, pretty straightforward question, not nearly involving as much thought as uh, you guys obviously put into your questions. These are the ones that I like the most. Oh, the, the nonsense. Abe doesn't like being challenged mentally. So. Since pretty much. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Aaron said it. So me. obviously, since the Grays is a big survival action picture or whatnot, favorite action movie of all time? Go. Oof. I'd have to. Well. One of the first ones that I ever remember seeing was Terminator 2, and I used to watch that constantly on VHS. That's why we're friends. <laughs> yeah, so Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Man, I was just like, yeah. I used to watch, I, I watched that when I was like On the VHS, so that means you could, like, before the movie started, you had, like, the preview with Arnold Schwarzenegger doing the, uh, doing the, the, the fitness, fitness thing. thing. Yeah. And also the Subway commercial yeah. with the president of Subway saying, like, Subway, you should use us to cater. And that guy's a goofball. But yeah, yeah. Terminator Two. Lo- now, do you like the? Did you have the, the original cut or the, expanded? It was VHS. One? Well, I think the right. VHS was only only the yeah. original cut, with the awesome this for, this viewing has been formatted to fit yeah, your screen. Yeah. Yes. Wait, wait, wait. wait just uh, curious. Yeah, have you seen the? Have oh, you yeah. seen the expanded cut? I haven't seen any of them, like any of the expanded like DVD or Blu-ray, um, like director's cuts and whatnot. Like it's um, that's the only version I've seen is the expanded really? one. You've never yeah. seen. The- yeah, I mean it's not because it's nothing. Right, it's nothing that seems essential. There's 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 exactly. two key sequences that are not in it, and one involves Michael Bean's character Kyle Reese coming back, and for like All a right. flashback thing. Here. I'm gonna nerd out for a second. Uh, at work this past week, I was kind of bored, so I just read movie scripts sometimes, and I read the movie script for Terminator yeah. Two, and so I know what you're talking okay, about. Yeah. Like she's in the she's hospital, in the hospital and Michael comes in. It's up. like you yeah. got you got to man up, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, it's that's that's a great scene. It's a good scene. Like I can see why it's cut. Like I think the the theatrical is, it's a fantastic movie as it is. So I, it doesn't make too much of a difference either way. There, I have no preferred cut. Basically, I can watch either one and be fine with it. When I watched the the other the expanded cut, I mean, I, I obviously hadn't seen the, the the original cut, but I felt like it was a little long. Yeah, I would. Yeah, because it adds like twenty twenty five minutes, and I thought, well, oh, maybe okay. the original cut would actually, you know. Yeah, it's clear. Better. Yeah, it, it yeah that's. I get, yeah, the theatrical cut, it clearly does kind of, that's why things were cut, just because it does flow better as a movie as a whole. But yeah, it has that, it has the, uh, God, we're going into Terminator 2, but I don't mind, because it's Terminator 2. <laughs> it has the, um, it has a scene where they, they remove Arnold Schwarzenegger's chip from his brain and consider yeah. killing him, which is, I think that's kind of interesting. That's great, yeah. yeah. And there's more of the, the stuff with the T-1000 that I really like, because it kind of, it's very, it's very, it's only hinted at in the theatrical, but when he gets, like, blown apart for the first time, he comes back kind of messed up. And that's what the expanded version like goes more with. Like it, he's like constantly messing up in his morphing abilities and stuff like that. So that's well, oh. it's kind of like the difference between the expanded Lord of the Rings ver- uh, films and the original cuts. I mean, I I haven't watched the expanded ones because well, a I'm not a huge Tolkien nerd, and two, it's just I like the original cuts. I feel like they're long enough as they are, and to imagine sitting there and watching, you know. 40 minutes more of Return of the King or, or however much longer it was, it just doesn't appeal to me. Eh, I mean, I, I, cause I'm not, I, I like the movies enough. I never read the books and I'm like, you know, I'm not a huge uh, ringer, 
But um, yeah. But with that said, I because um, I've just I just saw all of them for the well I saw Return of the Kings expanded cut before, but I just saw the other ones for the first time last year when the Blu-ray was coming out, so they put it in theaters. Did you like a uh, Fellowship? It made a lot more sense. No, no, I I still think Fellowship's oh. the weakest one. I don't like I it's Boo. that movie that movie that movie what? peaks way too early for me. No, the, I think the weakest one is uh, Two Towers. I like actually. Two I like Two Towers is my Dark Horse favorite. Like if Return of the King didn't exist, <laughs> I'd be like dude, I really love Two Towers a lot. But uh, but what about you? Which one is uh, a Fellowship? Yeah, Your Fellowship, the uh, King, and then Two Towers. Fellowship has the, the coolest opening sequence, perhaps in the history. Of, well, I might not say that, but I, I think that it, it really uh, immerses you into the world pretty well, and it introduces all of the types of people that live in Middle Earth, and so it, it's pretty much like more of a journey, um, whereas the other ones are kind of like. They they know what they're doing, but it's just a really long take. Fellowship's the one that feels long. I, I, I'll take that back. It's it's not the finest opening sequence in the history of cinema, but it certainly I think is one of the most distinctive. It's I think it's a it's oh, a yeah. solid opening for sure, but that doesn't mean the rest of the movie's great to me. Like I it, they I just it 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 feels it feels like the longest one to me, and it feels like once they get out of the the mines of Moria, once basically once Gandalf goes down, it feels long after that it feels like it peaks there and then it's just this really long stretch until it gets to boromir's fate and all that stuff with the action at the end the whole stuff with galadriel and all the elves and all that stuff it just takes forever it seems for me it just the mm. pa- i just feel like the pacing gets thrown off completely in the third act or whatever you know I, it's a fair point it's a fair point i mean yeah, I, I, I think i like it more than you do but i get where you're coming from the other two and like i don't because i don't think any of them are perfect but i think the, the other two have a better sense of pacing for me in my eyes i think the thing about lord of the rings is like when you the thing that people are really able to do now is you look at them as a, uh, an entire body of work and when you put them together it's it's a juggernaut yeah yeah although mm-hmm. i maintain that return of the king is fantastic. i do too no return of the king has just sequences that are just absolutely phenomenal just that i can like name like 10 fingers <laughs> that i just love 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 and it's <laughs> i mean like in terms of like there's just like so many great scenes in there that are just like absolutely like perfect scenes like not just like this is really well done they're just like perfect scenes and how they're accomplished in tone and handling so yeah i was worried you're gonna say you had six fingers this is a fun thing that we're gonna cut out of the podcast by the way (laughs) maybe not all of it (laughs) everybody put Uh, put at the end or something (laughs) okay uh we'll tell you a question for me uh aaron would the gray have been the scariest film of all time, like most intense, thrilling film of all time, if Garfield, the animated cat voiced by Bill Murray, was chasing these men. Oh my gosh. I know, you're getting chills right now. The urge to kill rising. Um, <laughs> now, is the cat larger than them in this situation, or is it the same size? No, there's just like, there's just like actually, there's like a whole pack of Garfields. Okay, so there's multiple Garfields, but are they the same? Are they like the size of like a tabby cat, or are they the size of like the wolves in the gray? They're the size of a tabby cat. But is there a lasagna? Yeah, like are the men like are is that like were they like workers in a restaurant and they all just covered in lasagna scent and that's why they're chasing them? There was that bar scene early in the film, so they do have that. So scent. they had they're covered in the scent of lasagna, and do the cats in this in this, <laughs> in this example do they have razor sharp teeth? <laughs> He's a cat, of course, never. Okay, and so everything's the same in this situation. Except- the, the, the survivor's named Odie. Yes, it's like it's one survivor named Odie. <laughs> yeah, you know Diaz. His middle name is okay. Odie. So it's John Odie Diaz. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the most Hispanic name ever. Okay. 
And so everything's the same in this situation except for those details that we've added. Yeah, and, and you know, actually, there's a few parts where, you know, when they're meeting face-to-face, Garfield actually just starts talking to them and droning them into, like, this miserable sleep. Okay. Now, yeah. you, you, you've worked this well because, you know, of course, John is from Garfield as well, so... <laughs> um, so I'm going to say the answer is yes. I would be more terrified. It, it, it is Bill Murray doing the voice of Garfield. Right? It is yes, Bill Murray exactly. doing all of the voices. Uh, of but can Garfield. I actually hear him speak? Yeah, yeah. Is it a turtle monologue? Yeah, you can, you can hear, hear him okay, speak. So it's not just like like cats howling in the night. It's Gar- it's Garfield saying. No, no. It's Garfield talking like I'm gonna I'm gonna get these. Ev- guys ev- they, eventually, because I'm lazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go back to sleep. But then I'll get you in the morning. <laughs> Okay, so yes. And they're just on their tip of the toes, hair raised all the time. They're just like, oh man, they're they're all feral now because they're they've been taunted by Garfield like crazy. Okay, yes, and all all this, yeah, this is more terrifying. In terms of me <laughs> right. and the audience watching this. We have a future in in horror horror writing, Mister Mister Abe. That's <laughs> Thanks. Kind of, yeah. You should go into writing horror. You know, the the Greyfields, something like that. <laughs> the Gray. That is an gray excellent fields. title. Uh, Okay, so with that nonsense out of the way, let's move on. Um, let's do some little movie trailer talk where we talk about a couple of the newest movie trailers and uh, what we think and whatnot. So the first trailer I want to talk about is Act of Valor, the um, upcoming action film that's basically a recruitment video for the U.S. Navy SEALs, which actually started out as being a recruitment <laughs> video before it turned into an actual movie. And I'm just curious what you guys thought about this one. So, uh, Adam, how about you start? You know, uh, I trying to think. What did I see the trailer for this in front of? I Puss in remember. Boots. It might even have been. It might even have been Immortals. Yeah, yeah, that's ago. probably important. Yeah, it was. So, yeah. so I'm I'm watching the trailer, um, and about a minute and a half into it, I'm thinking, man, this is awesome. I'm so so into this. And then the trailer went on for three more minutes, and it was just, it it, it starts off and it looks really really cool. And, you know, you got SEALs blowing crap up and being heroic and not leaving any man behind and stuff. And then the trailer just goes on forever. And I feel like it lets you know, it tips its hat as far as everything that's going to happen in the film. I don't know what else is there that they're going to do that's going to surprise you. So it's kind of mixed. I mean, I was really into it. And then the trailer just is so long and unwieldy that I, I now I'm really kind of going to take it or leave it moment. Yep. Yeah, uh, my initial thoughts when I when I actually I walked into it right in the middle when I was finding my seat for Immortals, um, and my initial reaction was this looks like crap, um, and then I think as the more showings I've seen it, it's like oh well it could be pretty interesting, but my initial gut reaction was no not even worth it. Um, I, I, it's great that they're using actual Navy SEALs because then they'll know all the routines and maneuvers, but I mean. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think this is... I, I think Top Gun was pretty good, effective. I think the numbers actually really spiked after Top Gun came out for people to join the Navy. So, yeah. Watching this trailer, which caught me off guard the first time I saw it just because I didn't know it existed, and I was like, okay, so this is... And it's like, oh, this is real Navy SEALs and mission stuff. I, and I was watching, I was like, okay, so there's some cool stuff here, but as much as I want to separate things from video games, it's like this movie, which is made by Navy SEALs, feels a lot like Modern Warfare. And I'm like, well, that's weird. Like, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't seem to reflect the games that I play since those are so over the top, but that's what this one seems to be supplying for me. But I don't, I don't know. 
So I, I'm still kind of curious, I guess, just because it's like, well, we're, t we're doing things for real, none of this Hollywood bullshit. So I'm like, what, what, what's this? What's this going to be like in, in actuality? And I guess there's there's very few like actors and a lot of actual Navy SEALs. So it's like, how's that going to go? And and I mean, come on, the idea of of okay, we have real Navy SEALs. So what they're trying to tell you is, look, the acting is going to be terrible. basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the acting is going to be well, spot you know, on. No technical ability to act whatsoever. Like I, I doubt that the Navy has an acting branch. It's not like you, you know, SEAL school for Did, acting. Didn't you see the men who stare at goats? I don't know. Where that, that doesn't really apply at all. Um, Adam's not psyched because he thinks he's already seen most of the movie. Abe just kind of thinks it looks bad, and I just, I don't know. <laughs> Give it. But go USA. Yeah, go USA. USA for sure. Go, you know, the men who do work for our country. But get. Yeah. Good for it, them. It looks like this film comes out a week where we probably might talk about it. So I guess we'll see. No. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll find out in the near future, I guess, what we thought about it. All right. <laughs> um, the next trailer I want to talk about is, and uh, okay, I guess Active Valor comes out February twenty fourth. So um, yeah, the next trailer. Mark your exactly. calendars. The next trailer I want to talk about is Wrath of the Titans, the follow up to the surprisingly successful, not surprisingly, but successful remake of Clash of the Titans, starring Sam Worthington, Liam Neeson, and a, and a Ray Fiennes, and a host of others. And, you know, the Greek god, by, uh, their, their film has returned, Perseus is back once again, and it looks like uh, the gods are being targeted by uh, by Ares and Hades, and I, I'm assuming, I'm assuming, I'm assuming <laughs> the Titans. The gods are being targeted by, uh, by Ares they're, they're all pissed Ares. off at each other once again, and wrath ensues as Perseus needs to, you know, do what's right. Um... I guess we could talk, if we saw the first Clash of the Titans, we could talk about that and our thoughts on this one. I'll just start. Um, the first, the remake of Clash of the Titans, I was not a fan of. I saw it with kind of hopes just because it's like, all right, I can, I, I, I thought it was, a, I thought it was a, a legitimately good idea for one thing. It's like, this is, yeah, that makes sense to remake. I mean, the, the 80s Clash of the Titans, it's a cheesy movie and it's, you know, it's fun and for its time and. It's it's it makes sense that you know you have all these big special effects and that's what that movie was about at its time so why not use the latest special effects to remake it it's a fun Greek story and I was a little dissatisfied with it it made me just want to go home and play God of War instead which is actually what I did that night after seeing it and um, especially when you have Liam Neeson announcing release the Kraken and you have to wait like an hour and forty minutes for that to happen and it's like oh that's it but uh, with this new trailer for Wrath of the Titans directed by Jonathan Liebsman who did um, Battle L A. Our, uh, our inaugural podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, from what it looks like, it, it certainly made me want to play God of War again. <laughs> and um, I'll say, similarly to the first Clash of the Titans, the trailer made me want to see it. But fool me once, shame on you. So we'll, we'll see if I end up liking Wrath of the Titans at all. Abe? I think this is going to be one of those... This. The first movie made a lot of money, so we'll just make a second movie and put a bunch of action sequences in and have no real substance at all. And I didn't really finish or follow through with the first one, so I don't really know what to expect, but from the mix of reviews that I got, I think this one's probably going to be perhaps a little bit more interesting, but ultimately not a great movie. One that you probably would enjoy watching with your buddies. I I never saw the original Um from what I understand, there was just a really horrible 3D transfer in post-production. So I'll, I'll add that thankfully I didn't go and see the original in 3D. So. 
Okay, so I, I haven't seen the film, so I, I, I can't comment on it in, in, the, in the sequel in relation to the original. But that said, I mean, after seeing Immortals, and my, my big thing with Immortals was I really would have loved to see movies about Greek mythology when I was, like, 12, when I was really into it. But I felt like Immortals just really missed the ball on so many levels. And now, when I found out, I'll be honest, there was going to be a... Um, Wrath of the Titans, I, I went and I watched the trailer like right away. And I'm kind of... I wouldn't be opposed to seeing this. I'm not saying I would want to spend a lot of money, but like my, my usual rule applies, you know, if it's free or if I'm taken <laughs> by a beautiful woman, I, I'm totally down. That's a good rule. I like your rule. <laughs> the, uh... you know, the rule, it, it's not actually a rule I've ever been able to really put in practice, but it's a great oh. theoretical concept. <laughs> the, the, uh, the two benefits that I got from this trailer. One was almost a cliche at this point where it's like, this one looks darker and grittier than the first one, which is like, such a joke. The trap. it's such a joke statement at this point and saying something like that. But, um, the second thing is with this one being a sequel to a film that was a remake, at least it's kind of treading new ground. There's no real story for this to base up besides, you know, various homage to Greek myth. But I mean, there's no base story based on a previous film at this point, besides continuing the journey of a character. So like, it seems like it could tread new ground in a successful way if they if they try to handle it with skill and some effort opposed to just constructing a lot of really cool action sequences. And that yeah. said, it looks like there you know there are some really cool action sequences. Who's as much the as the female lead in this one? The the female well, lead Jennifer is Lopez. Rose, oh, where's that even coming from? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading the news. <laughs> yeah, the female lead is Rosamund Pike, who plays Andromeda, who is actually a replacement for um, Gemma Arterton, who is in the first one as Andromeda. So. So it's the same character. Right? Hold on, hold on. I think I might be wrong on that. I think yeah, let's see. There's it's the same character, but they've recast it. But I think I might be because there were two. There were that's one of the things about the first one. There were like Can two. Can you imagine J Lo doing it with like a, just the way she talks and trying to do like Greek, you know? Well, actually, come on. If you're gonna be in one of these movies, you have to have a British accent, even though that makes no sense. Well, she. Would, I think they would just let her speak her regular English, and and it, she'd be able to get away with it. I'll say. I, I like uh, Sam Worthington's mullet in this trailer versus his Jason Statham look in the first Clash of the Titans. <laughs> mullet. <laughs> he must have filmed it concurrently like with a, Man on the Ledge. He's not like a mullet in this movie. Hold on. Uh, let's see. Was it, was it the same time that he filmed Man on the Ledge? Yeah, he had a, he was kind of rocking a, some shaggy <laughs> hair in that one, too. <laughs> he's climbing out on the ledge during breaks from Wrath of the Titans, I guess. <laughs> same lot. Hold on. I'm about to pull this up right here. Okay, I was... Slightly, but yeah, uh, Alexa Davalos played Andromeda in the first one, and Gemma Arterton played Eo in the first one, and only one of them, one of those characters returning, apparently. <laughs> yeah, okay. I needed to set that straight for all the people that really care about the first Clash of the Titans movie. But hey, Rosamund Pike's cool, so... Rose, yeah, I do, like, I do like Rosamund Pike, so... Mm. Die Another Day Withstanding, so... It's all about the Madonna song, come on. Uh, Elton John's favorite Bond <laughs> song? Is it really? No, it's not. He hates that song and he hates Madonna. So. <laughs> I think they're buddies, but like they they, get on they just they just they just clash and as an act. Wait a minute, are they two titans of music? Wah, wah. Uh, oh. <laughs> That's why Adam doesn't host the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I have friends, Aaron. I have friends. Wah, 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 wah. All, right. All right, so Wrath of Titans comes out the end of March, March 30th, in 3D as well, and I'd like to think that they've learned their lesson from the first time and spent a lot more time either filming or properly converting this film to 3D. Regardless, I still probably will try to see it in 2D to make the effort that way. So, 
I guess with all that out of the way, we can move on to our film review of The Grey. A job at the end of the world. I work security at protecting men from the dangers they cannot see. There's not a second goes by when I'm not thinking of you in some way. Food. If we don't move and work now, we're all freeze to death. Somebody will find us. They gotta know that plane went off the radar. Nobody's gonna find us. Not here. We figure out what way is south and we start walking. Okay, so that was a little bit of the trailer for The Grey, the new film starring Liam Neeson as Otway, a uh, survivalist of sorts who kind of he's working on in an oil refinery up in Alaska as kind of a a marksman who who seek who uh, takes care of the wolves that may be attacking or the other wilderness that may be attacking the men and uh, he and a group of the refinery workers get on a plane to head back home or wherever and uh, the plane crashes, which results in uh, Liam Neeson and the uh, remaining few survivors to um, attempt to you know survive and possibly get rescued or make it shelter uh, as doing while doing this they are. They proceed to be stalked by a, a pack of a pack of wolves who see them as intruders in their territory, and the film follows the men as they try to survive and make their way anywhere that's away from these deadly, deadly wolves. Um, the film was written and directed by Joe Carnahan, and um, it's a doozy. But uh, Abe, what did you think of the Gray? Uh, this was one of those films where I walked out having to to be silent because I had to think about everything that I had just seen. And it, it kind of stuck with me the entire evening because I was thinking about it so much. I was thinking about uh, maybe the metaphors that it was presenting or um, the score and the soundtrack, which was pretty good in this film. And also, uh, I guess technically, uh, all technically speaking, all of the uh, uh, camera work and all that uh, stuff, because I think that there's some pretty awesome shots where the director of photography has a pretty good grasp of what he's doing. I think one of those is like the river shot and also where this somebody falling through a tree and that, that's that's a pretty interesting shot. But um, yeah, in terms of the story, the story is, I think that it's more than you think it would be. And I think that it's a good surprise, I guess. It's not really surprising, but it's just more, it's it's more solid than you think that it would be. And I was, I was very much appreciative of that fact. There's a lot of... Uh, action in it i guess to some degree because you you have these men that are facing off against these wolves but it's also a character play in terms of how i guess humans what kind of survival skills kick in what kind of thinking goes on through these people when they are trying to survive and a will to live it's it's really i i really don't want to give too much away because i know adam hasn't seen it but it's it's really solid and and it was really you know a, a good movie, and I really, really highly recommend it. Yeah, Abe, I am completely right there with you. The 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 most annoying thing about The Grey is how the marketing's trying to sell it, which is both commendable but not, because you need to, obviously you need to 
you know, bring people to theaters for something. And it's right. showing it's showing a particular aspect about it that I, I think misrepresents what the movie is. Yeah. It's at the same time establishes kind of some things that are going on. But I think it there's a there's a very particular sequence that I'm thinking about that's selling the wrong kind of movie. And I think that's what the majority of people would be expecting. But with that said, I would like to think that the majority of people that saw the movie based on that reason would come out just thinking something completely different. That's, you know, very positive because of how great this movie is, I think. I think The Grey is an absolutely fantastic movie, and I think if there are ten movies that come out that are better than The Grey this year, I'll be thinking this is a very good year because The Grey is a is a really great movie. I think yeah. it's, I think Liam Neeson in, in particular, I literally I would put this right up there with Schindler in terms of his performance. I think he's that good in this movie. I not just like in a I'm a tough action guy really. I think the way he kind of takes this role, he has. Both the physicality to him, just because apparently Liam Neeson, Liam Neeson is just awesome nowadays, where he can just do things <laughs> with his hands and make it work. But in terms of his character, how the the emotional level of his character, where he's at, who this person is, how it reveals itself to us throughout this film, the questions in his own faith is how that plays in, how it seems very almost personal in terms of things that have gone on in Liam Neeson's real life versus what's going on in this film. Like, there's just all this there's all this depth to this character that i really enjoyed how the movie kind of plays out with you yeah. in the midst of this survival thriller and yeah it's from that perspective alone yeah this movie is fantastic because liam neeson owns in like every way and then you have yeah this survival thriller movie which is incredibly intense very dark um the, the a way, lot of metaphors to be drawn. A lot, there are a lot of. I'm, I'm yeah. glad you've also seen metaphors, not just thinking of it as you know a straight up wolf chasing movie. Like right. there's a lot of ways to read how this movie, what it's presenting to you, like what, how what it's what it's saying about things. I'm not saying it's an overtly religious movie or anything like that, but it's. I, and I maybe think, there you know, are no metaphors to understand, but it's just it's it's a thinking. There's, there's, yeah, there's there's yeah. a thinking piece. There's ways you can interpret what's going on in this right. film, and I think movies like a movie or a story like Moby Dick could play very well into mm. into similar territory as the gray in terms of what the whale represents, things like that. But yeah, the, um, there's other characters in the movie too, that I also like really enjoyed. There's, um, the character of Diaz played by Frank Grillo, who is also a warrior actually, just because I like shouting oh, really? out warrior oh, when I can. That's he's why the, he looks the, familiar. He's the he's trainer. The, he's the trainer and warrior. Yeah. Yes. And the warrior that I just like, again, I like shouting out that movie, but the way his character, like, he plays kind of an alpha male character, and the way his character is, the the things that he experiences throughout this movie, as much as, like, he's not the focus, it's, you know, it's very much Liam Neeson's show, but as well as him, and, you know, a couple of other characters, like uh, the Dermot Mulroney character, who's kind of a father who wants to get back home. That's, the way these little characters, these smaller roles are fleshed out is also impressive. And then, yeah, you have this this crazy survival thriller thing with you have, you know, this great photography going on. The, the plane crash sequence in this was film intense. is intense. Yeah. And the way it's handled, the way it's cut, just all these things factor into being such, such an intense journey. And it's just really, really well handled overall. I think, um, Joe Carnahan, who previously did NARC, which I mentioned earlier on this podcast, that was a film that was kind of a break. He did a film before that called Blood, Blood Guts, Bullets, and Octane, I believe, and um, which is a film that's very hard to see. I still haven't seen it, and I really like to, but that's like the film that kind of, that was his debut feature, but NARC was how he kind of broke out into more mainstream, kind of. And then he followed NARC up, which is a very dark and gritty film with Smoke and Aces and uh, The A-Team, 
which are very much the opposite of that in terms right. of tone. They're very over the top and fun and stuff. And like, I like both of them. I like Joe, Joe Carnahan in general, actually. I've liked all his films as different as they may be. But The Gray is like, if the, if the A-Team was his last movie, The Gray is almost like the ant- antithesis of that movie. It's Pretty the complete much. Op- it's the complete opposite yeah. of, of an action movie. The men in this movie are, as, as even if some of them you know, want to try and portray tough, they're all vulnerable. And this movie makes you very aware that they are vulnerable to 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 the environment, to these wolves, and to each other. Like it is, right. the, the, it it really just kind of shows you. It puts it puts. I mean, it's not about being you know completely realistic as possible. You don't have wolves like necessarily coming at you with this ferocity and you know as big as they are. But wolves can get pretty big though. They can get pretty like, big. Up to yeah, like six feet in length. It's crazy. I, honestly, I had no problem with the wolves. With yeah. that said, none of my favorite scenes in this movie involve the wolves. There are so many gr- other great sequences. There's a there's an early death sequence involved that takes place aboard the plane after it's crashed. Yeah, everything is that's, brutal. It, that's <laughs> really that's really it's brutal. But there's like, like if just the way things are handled in this movie, I think is just fantastic. And you said it yourself, which is it's it's not as though it's crazy survival in terms of the characters and stuff. It's really more of kind of the reactions to the situation, which makes it uh, very, very uh, enjoyable and, and respectable to watch because you don't have them. I don't think ever once I thought, Oh, what are they going to eat tonight? You know, or like, where's the water source coming from? It's just more, well, they have to survive. And there's all these, these different rationales of thinking about, you know, how to survive or, or what to do with this wolf thing, and uh, it's really interesting. Um, one thing that I, I really like in particular was how they send an Omega Wolf to go and test one of the characters, and the the group ends up, you know, defeating the wolf, and the wolves really don't back down. They the humans think that we did it, but the wolves come back in full force, and it's it's really like this chess match, and it's just really well done. Even the wolf scenes, I, I don't really know how much of it was CGI or how much of it was was stock. It's a combination of practical effects, animatronic effects, and CGI, and it's yeah. But it looks yeah. great. I agree. Yeah. yeah. And in, in addition to the airplane scene, again the tree scene, climbing scene, it was uh, it was pretty good. I think that the last sequence, especially when Diaz is is pondering things over, I think that the movie gets really really like emotionally great. And I was really invested. It was just fantastic. Yeah. So if uh, I get you guys correctly, what, what you're saying is that this is being marketed as maybe a typical January movie, but is so much better than that that yes. you, you kind of feel bad that it's being marketed to it. It's not being marketed to the crowd that would like it the most. But I think that in uh, terms of marketing, I, you can't give away too much. And it's it's tough to market this movie. Yeah, I, I can. It's it's the reason why I can see it as a January release because it's not it's not a summer movie. It's not a movie that would come out in the summer, but it's not really like it's hard to. In order to be successful, I can see why it's being how I can see why it's being pushed here. I guess, and because it's Liam Neeson, I think they, I think there's a way to kind of understand that he has a certain built-in audience at this point where I think a crowd will come and see it, and we'll get to that in the box office, but um. I, it'll reach the right people just because of based on Liam Neeson, and I'd, I'd like to think that people that see it for one reason might be walking out a little bit surprised of what they actually got because of the quality of the film. But with that said, if this movie did come out last year, if this movie came out in December or November or whatever, I 
I would honestly think that there'd be more, there'd be much more regard for it. I, I think, I, I don't, I don't know if Liam Neeson would get like an Oscar nomination or anything, but I think, I certainly think he'd be in the running. I think he'd be certainly considered. And like, I know this movie is actually going to be, cause they, it's been mentioned, it's going to be kind of released again later on in the year in hopes for an awards contention, just because it's such an early release date and these movies kind of get lost in the shuffle. But I think Liam Neeson is that good in this movie. And he's been, it's really surprising out of, out of just about anybody in recent years, for for an actor who has sort of rebranded himself, you know, all of a sudden, a couple of years ago with Tegan, he just sort of burst on the scene and's like, "Hey, I am not just an action hero, but I'm one of the most convincing and emotionally identifiable action heroes." Very in, much you know, so. Around. Did you did you see that episode of Life's Too Short? He's very <laughs> convincing as an AIDS victim, and I'll put that in the show notes. I'll I'll add that in, but yeah, the the upcoming Ricky Gervais show, which has him as a guest a guest star. Um. Yeah, but but yeah, like you were saying, yeah, he's he's what he's fifty nine years old, I believe, right now, and um, he, yeah, actors don't you know come out of nowhere as you know having portrayed one kind of character for a majority of their career, and then you know rebranding themselves as a as an action star at the age that he's at, and you know being successful at it. I I watched Taken again just because I wanted to and, you know, in prep for the show, just because to see kind of Liam Neeson. And that movie relies completely on his performance. It is because of Liam Neeson that that movie works. Like, and it's because he sells it. He has an authority about him that makes it very effective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, which is because if you watch that, that you could people, I know people love Taken, but if you watch that movie and you watch some of the things going on there, it's not a very good movie in terms of the other things going on in there and how it's represented. Like it's well, it's completely reliant on that Nisa performance. And it's the, very the, much like like over the top. I mean, realistically, it, it's almost like the intro to Team America World Police, where where the team like blows up half of France and they're like, "You're welcome for for us saving you." It's, yes. it's kind of like you know Liam Neeson basically has destroyed a lot of France and France's police force. Uh, in Taken, and then like, he just leaves with his daughter. So, of course, it's a little bit over the top, but, I mean, yeah, he does make that movie go. And he is Qui-Gon Jinn in Star Wars. And he trained so back for the Renaissance began. He's Ross Al Ghul. Maybe Star Wars, maybe George Lucas deserves the credit for making him a convincing action star. I'm just saying. I think that it was the casting agent. It was George. Maybe it was George. <laughs> it, took, it took 14 years, it took more than that, it took 15 years for that to finally catch up. Or, no, I'm, I'm way off. Edit that out. That's horrible Edith math. Better latent than never. It's horrible math. Edit that out. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, yeah. Aaron, what do you think about like the technical aspects of the gray? I mean, there there was a where Dermemoroni. I can't pronounce his name. Dermemoroni. Yeah, when he's crossing, there is there's, there's a nice yeah, there's a, build up, there's... and you know, there's a lot of nice little uh, photography play in this film. Yes, and there's. There's shots of just the wilderness, of just the the snowy environment that they're trapped in, and just shows just what what it what this is, where they are, and like how it establishes this is it's not it's not a it's not a it's not a walk through the through the snow here. This is this is a really tough thing that these guys are going to have to try and try and work their way out there. And there's also wolves, and it's this is this it's just yeah, it's very well shot. The um the way there's a there's a shot involving in the river. There's a river sequence yeah. that's incredibly intense and just there's a there's a the way it uses proximity of how close somebody is to something that just gets to me i've seen this movie twice now i saw it again and it's just 
ah, oh, it's it's a movie that's very effective in getting the right atmosphere across for what 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 the level of intensity is for this movie. It's very very well made. Uh, the sound design in a lot of in the early scenes involving like the plane crash, like there's a lot of really. Yeah really well done filmmaking in this movie about the sound design too i mean uh when we were listening to the trailer um it it really takes you back uh when you hear that sound in the trailer because it's really just well done that plane crash is is really scary it Uh, is yeah and you know you hear the chop in the trailer and then you hear the chop during the movie too obviously but it's just man it's very it's, it's a visceral feeling for sure what do you think of the score uh, the score, I uh, liked it. It had a, it was, it's kind of a fitting with the film, which is kind of minimalist in a way in terms of you know what's being set up. I think the score does sets that up well. Like it, it's there's nothing very overdone about it at all. I I like how it kind of, it kind of it kind of, there's a couple beats that it hits repeatedly, and one of them is like interrupted in one scene that I thought was kind of interesting. It was the way, it kind of factors into. Liam Neeson's mind state, like kind of one of the main themes of it, and right. I, I think it's just, it's just a, it's a solid score. It's fitting for the film. Yeah, for sure. Who did the score? Uh, Mark Statenfield, I believe. I he does a lot of yeah. Rid- he does does a lot of Ridley Scott scores actually. Okay. He's Ooh, big... maybe he'll do the Prometheus. score. He is doing the Prometheus score, Ooh. I believe actually. Mark Str- Mark sorry Mark Stratenfield. Is it is it would it be would it be wrong for me to say again just how excited I am for Prometheus? I know it has nothing to do with this episode at all, but Come on, can we can we just can we just get to to June eighth already? Come on, Adam. I don't know what movie you're talking about. Is that a new movie from Ridley Scott? Why, Aaron? Aaron just went into like why, Aaron? My dear friend, it just so happens that it is a new movie from said Scott. Oh, oh okay. I believe. Uh, oh yeah, Great. I see yeah. here. It's, it stars it stars a one Michael Fassbender and uh, one Numi Rapace and the one Idris Awesome Elba. I believe. Oh, okay. One Charlize Theron. Academy doing, Award doing, Charlize Theron. Academy winning Charlize Theron doing naked push-ups. I believe that's, that, that's what I, I saw. I don't believe they're actually naked push-ups. Not, um, not if I you went to Comic Con, uh, yes, they are naked oh. push-ups. <laughs> then I am Spoiler. pleased to uh, have you here to correct me because that's awesome. Okay. Anyway, uh, let's uh, get back to the gray, assuming that all this is still in the podcast, and uh, let's uh, wrap it up with a rating here, since we both seem to quite like it a lot. But uh, each week and out now, we try to do a, a rating that reflects when you should go and see this movie, as opposed to a score or something. And we kind of have a rating scale that goes from IMAX, theater, dollar theater, Netflix, HBO, TV, or just kind of forget about it. And I think we're both going to be pretty high on this one, Abe, but where would you put it on that scale? This is an IMAX film. This is it, It's not playing in IMAX, but go out and see it as soon as you can. Pay whatever you can. And, uh, yeah. Agreed. And, yeah, if it was on IMAX, people would be having heart attacks watching this movie from the intensity and ginormity of the screen. In glorious 2D, I might add, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. All right, so uh, we'll get back to the gray a little bit. But we'll get to more technical things, like its box office results right now. Mm. And uh, we, have, of course, always try to predict what the box office total is going to be for the film the prior week. And uh, last week on the show, um, we had Mr. Jim Dietz predicted uh, second place of $10 million for The Grey. Jordan Grout predicted first place of $14 million. I predicted second place of $13 million. Abe, where did you come down? Yeah, now? I went conservative because I, uh, I was the laughing stock the week before that. So I went with third place and three nine million. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. 
I like how Abe says the laughing, the laughing stock the previous week as if it's not something that's constant. But um, <laughs> with that said, I really I vastly underestimated once again the power of Liam Neeson to, in today's action drama field because the great came in at first place of twenty million dollars. Wow, uh, sizably outdoing Underworld Awakening in second place of twelve million. Well, that's and good. Uh, the latest Catherine Heigl romp, one for the money with eleven, <laughs> followed by the latest George Lucas romp, Red Tails with ten. And, you know, uh, <laughs> trapped on a ledge <laughs> with fifth place in eight billion. Uh, I saw Man on the Ledge, by the way, and that is a movie. All right. It, it, I can't say it's bad. It's not horrible in any regard. It's uh, it's fine. It's not one that I'd recommend, but for a good two thirds, it's fairly entertaining. It's just for a good two thirds. Huh. A good two thirds of it before it becomes like an R. Kelly video trapped in the closet. <laughs> It becomes, oh, it becomes trapped on the ledge, and he takes out his gun. Uh, but, Is it a Beretta? No, you can edit this part out, but um, basically more than one person gets on the ledge, so it's like, this is like R. Kelly's video. Who else is going to get trapped in this closet? But, uh, <laughs> Did it get real when, like, uh, Jamie Bell's like, welcome to the war? <laughs> <laughs> oh, a jumper ball. That's, that's awesome. Here we uh, go. Uh, okay. But yeah, uh, yeah, the gray did good business. I'm very happy. I'm happy that it did this well. I was, I, I was being less than optimistic about how well it was gonna do, but I'm very happy that it did as well as it yeah. did. And so yeah, I'm glad to see it. Yeah. So with that out of the way, we can go into a retro review where we kind of go into a couple films that may relate in some way to the main feature of the week. And uh, Abe, any no films you thought of? Well, after the gray. Or, well, I mean, like one one of the immediate ones that I thought of was uh, the Neverending Story. Um, mostly because no, 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 not not terms of, like the story itself, but like the the wolf in the Neverending Story. His name is like Gamork, um, okay. and the wolf is it's just the intensity that the Gamork brings to the screen is almost the same intensity that these wolves bring, which is like it's a very dark part of the movie in the Neverending Story, and it's like one of the more serious parts of the movie. Um, and you f- kind of fear for uh, Atreyu uh, in that scene, but anyway, uh, and uh, again, what I said in the review was. I had a I thought about this movie a lot and I really couldn't think of like a movie where it's it takes a lot of the elements of the gray and puts it together so I, I couldn't really think of any movies during or after the uh, the clearest example that I thought of was the edge with Anthony Hopkins and mm-hmm. Alec Baldwin where they also get you know a plane crash in Alaska and stranded and have to fight off a Klondike bear sorry <laughs> a, Co- a Kodiak bear. Did you have ice cream? <laughs> yeah, that's where, that's where my head went. A Kodiak bear, and you know, it's, that that's a very different movie, I would say. But um, that's one that came to mind. Another, just I thought of other kind of survival movies. Um, one Twenty Seven Hours, I thought of just because that came out fairly recently. Yeah. Uh, Rescue great. Rescue Dawn, I thought of oh, with Christian Bale Christian and Bell. Steve Zahn. That's Steve that's Zahn a fantastic is a movie. Fantastic actor in that movie. It, it's I, so haunting. Is. I, it is that. It, Completely. I think that movie is absolutely great. I think that's that's maybe a favorite Christian Bale performance for me. It's very. I think that's underseen yeah. in my eyes. I, I, I mean, uh, just to just to spotlight it for a second, there's there's two scenes that I really like in that movie. One of them is when they're gonna leave the camp and he's supposed to rendezvous with the rest of the guys and he's just cursing the guy out. He's like, "God damn you!" And I was like, "Exactly. That's exactly how I feel." And then the second part is uh, when he's saying Rescue Don on the helicopter. And it's just, yeah, it is really good. Yeah. And um, the final movie I thought of is called The Way Back, hmm. which is a very underseen movie. It's, it's, a, it's, it's good. I wouldn't say it's great, but it stars, um, oh, what's his name? 
Apparently it's Jim Sturgis. That's the, that's the uh, Peter Weir film, isn't it? Yeah, it's, the, it's the Peter Weir film, and it stars, uh, well, sorry, it has Ed Harris in it, who's always, I mean, it's Ed Harris, he's always good in things, but who's and the Farrell? lead star? So, well, yeah, Colin Farrell's Sturgis. in there in supporting role. It's Jim Sturgis, that's the lead character, Jim Sturgis. And um, it's a true story, actually. It's about these guys that escape from Russian prison and literally walk all the way to get across the border so they can get back home eventually. And um, it, it, it's, uh, it, has, it has a lot of kind of, there's, there's actually Saoirse Ronan's in that movie too, mm. but um, it, it, there's a lot of intensity in that movie in terms of how things are filmed and how it, it was it was nominated for best makeup. But um, <laughs> just, just my uh, heart be still. Awesome. Just, <laughs> just the just the things that um kind of kept... hoping for best picture, but when we got best makeup. Got best you know, we thought next best thing. We're good. We're good. <laughs> in terms of Peter Peter Weir films, it, it's it's solid. It's a it's a solid kind of adventure intense story mm. that kind of I thought of while I was watching watching the gray I'm surprised that neither of you have mentioned any of the Twilight films <laughs> <laughs> no no we left that to you in the beginning the, oh, the know everybody you know when you need quality I'm just happy to happy to happy to step up <laughs> quality content ladies and gentlemen well speaking of quality content and stepping up Adam um would you like to talk about your experiences in this past week Oh my gosh. Um, let's just say that Southern California uh, has a much, much more appealing climate than Park City, Utah does. Uh, because uh, let's see, I left on, it would have been January 19th on Thursday and just got back two days ago on the 27th. So I was gone for nine days. And, and uh, where, where did you go? Park City, Utah for the Sundance Film Festival. So in about seven days of screening, I saw all told you put it all together 36 films wow so it was um it was pretty intense but it was it was a terrific experience i, I was uh, supposed to go to sundance last year uh, but was unable to make it due to a scheduling conflict and so to be able to go and be a part of the uh the environment was was absolutely fantastic um i was initially tried to get a press credential for sundance well but it was unable to make that happen just because they're super selective about who they let in for that and so ended up getting a press credential for slam dance through movie smackdown and so i spent most of my time over at slam dance which if you don't know is a film festival that runs concurrently in park city up at the treasure mountain inn up, up at the top of the hill and um so that's a really cool festival and then it's, it's much more indie if you will there's a lot more it's a, it's focused a lot more on filmmakers, kind of by filmmakers for filmmakers. You're saying Paris Hilton doesn't show up at the Slam Dance Film Festival? <laughs> you know what? We thought we saw her, but it was sadly it was it was not Paris Hilton. It was just a uh, toy Barbie doll. It was Perez Hilton. <laughs> but you know, the Barbie doll had both eyes open, so we'll, we'll get we'll go that far. Okay. Um, but see, so yeah, I spent most of my time at Slam Dance, but was lucky in that I was able to get into four screenings at Sundance, um, through a combination of goodwill of my uh, my colleagues and uh, work in the system a little bit so yeah I mean anything in particular you uh you want to go into like um, let's film that you I, were, were blown away by yeah how about you name like like three main films that you like really enjoyed okay well um unfortunately I was not able to see the it movie of the festival which was Beasts of the Southern Wild I, I read Beasts about of that, the Southern yeah. Wild people were going nuts over and to be fair my colleague um Max was, that was his it movie of the festival before it even started. So you know, to be fair, you know he he wins, he gets dibs. But I wasn't able to see that. But as far as favorites, um, 
all in all, my favorite was a film I saw at Slamdance called Wild in the Streets, mm. um, which was, <laughs> ironically, I was sitting in line for this movie, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I don't really want to see this tonight. Because, I mean, I just, I'd seen the synopsis, I'd seen the, the image in the, in the, the catalog, I'm like, oh, whatever, it's going to be great. Okay, fantastic movie. It's a documentary about a football game that is basically a football tradition that's about 2,000 years old in Ashburn, England. Over two days on Shrove Tuesday and Ash Wednesday, about 3,000 people play this game. And it's the craziest game of football you've ever seen. There's basically, like, no rules. Like, the goals are about three miles – the goals are three miles apart. The game starts at, like, 2 o'clock, 2.30 in the afternoon, and it goes until uh, – I think it's something like uh, 11, something like that. And it's crazy. Like, they throw the ball up, and it's this beautiful handmade leather ball, hand-painted. They throw it up in the air, and these people – it, it's like this combination of like rugby and American football, and there's this you know, people are pushing, 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 trying to break the ball out. And I mean, the movie's great, you know, not just because it's a great tradition, but because the filmmaker uh, Peter Baxter really took the time to get into the town, to meet the people there, to find out what this game means to them, uh, the loyalties that are that are there. It was just, oh my gosh, it was standing room only. People were going nuts. It was, uh, it was fantastic. This almost sounds like Calvin Ball. Yeah. Gosh, all I can say is, I mean, if, if you have the chance to see this one, it's really great. And I want to be fair, he did use uh, one of my favorite Oasis songs called Lucky Fingers. So that was already like a really great moment, like two minutes in, when you're hearing one of your favorite songs. Um, that film called, again? Wild in the Streets. Wild in the Streets. Wild in the Streets, uh, which is pretty terrific. Um, and let's see, over on the Sundance side... One of my favorites was uh, a film called Two Days in New York, hmm. which is the New latest York. film by Julie Delpy. Oh, okay. It's the, the sequel to Two, Two Days, Days of Paris. Paris. Um, and I'm pleased to report is uh, much better than Two Days in Paris. Because <laughs> I love um, the Richard Linklater films Before Sunrise and Before Sunset. Mm-hmm. And I felt like Two Days in Paris was Delpy trying to do that same type of thing. But it kind of focuses too heavily on her character's neuroses, and it just doesn't communicate as well, despite a wonderful ending. Whereas Two Days in Paris, oh my gosh, I mean, sorry, Two Days in New York, rather. I mean, it's so much more fun. Um, and not only that, but the lead, her co- co-lead is uh, Chris Rock, which Julie Delpy, Chris Rock, you're kind of thinking, what? But it's some... Um, I'm intrigued by this. <laughs> he's really effective, because he's not doing the usual... Chris Rock craziness. He's a he's, a he's acting. Fling. Exactly. He's actually trying. Is it like a serious wow. kind of acting, like a serious dramatic role, or is it kind of just? It's pretty good. Well, I overall. mean, the, char- the characters are all kind of quirky, you know, funny characters. But as far as the crazy people in this movie, he is probably one of the most serious. Wow. Essentially, to give up the premise, the give up the uh, the premise. Uh, Julie Delpy and Chris Rock, they're a couple. They live with her child from a previous marriage and his daughter from a previous relationship. Actually, I don't think she was married. It was like, they both have kids from previous relationships. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. And then her family, um, her dad, her sister and her sister's boyfriend, who's also her ex-boyfriend come to visit and they stay in their apartment. And they're just like incredibly, incredibly ridiculously French. And Chris Rock has no idea how to handle this. And they're driving him nuts and they're driving her nuts and they're making her crazy. Oh, it's, it's so much fun, and they they managed to kind of 
get some genuine emotion out of it. It's not like a, a super deep film right. as far as that goes, but from beginning to end, it's, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of great little uh, quintessential sort of French cinematic touches, um, including one really cool montage where they're showing uh, the, the way that the family is touring the city of New York, and they cut... It, w- there's like a... Uh, I think it's like a ukulele or a mandolin, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And it's this kind of fast little finger-picking like solo. And the images cut in time with the notes, which is kind of like a very new wave sort of... Huh. Yeah, of I, I, I actually tend to like seeing that in films when that happens. It's... It was really cool. So that was a big hit over there. And then to go with a short film that I really liked, um, I saw a, a short film called When the Kid Was a Kid. Um, from Iran, because uh, Slam Dance had a um, a set of uh, of short film, seven short film premieres from Iran, where the the programmer actually went to Iran, where he's from, met with the filmmakers, and got their films and brought them back. Hmm. And the the film looks at the, um, the the way that these this group of children are living in this apartment complex. In uh, I, I, it must be Tehran, I'm not sure, but it's it's a, a city in, in Iran. But through the eyes of these kids, it has these weird takes on gender and the social, you know, mores and whatnot. It's it's really cool. I really left feeling like that was easily the strongest film in that program. But um, but no, you know, one thing I really want to point out about the experience, which is so cool. You know, first off, Park City is a great town. Um, there are these like free shuttle buses that take you everywhere you got to go, which is great. You're not spending a you know a fortune on, on travel expenses. Mm-hmm. Um, so as long as you memorize the schedule, you hop on, you hop off, you're good to go. Um, but what I really, really enjoy is you know, for seven days, the cinematic world descends on, on Sundance, and everybody speaks the same language. People know about the same films. People are getting excited about things. You know, it's, for example, it's Slamdance. Well, when the film is too packed, because like, like, their biggest screening room seats, I don't know, 120 people. And the chairs are on risers, and they're not very comfortable chairs. And if you're in the back and it's subtitled, you can't see. Uh. You have to, like, stand up. And people were literally getting up out of their seats and going to sit on the floor rather than miss the movie. Just, you know, because they could see. There are, like, movies where there are, like, teenagers laying out in front of the screen with their arms propped up behind their head so they can watch. There are people standing in the back. There are people sitting on the risers. And I just, that was so cool to see people who were so committed, they really wanted to be part of it. And for Sundance, I mean, you look, two days in New York, it's 9 a.m. It's a 9 a.m. screening, and there's a 1,200-seat theater, and it's pretty much packed. So, I mean, that just does your heart good as far as kind of restoring your faith and, and the fact that there are people who care as much about the movies as, uh, as you do. It was a, it was a pretty terrific experience. I'm really glad to be out of the cold and falling out. And it, according to your Facebook, it says that you you met a certain uh, Parker Posey. Oh, you met Parker Posey? I, I didn't actually oh, meet yeah. Parker Posey. Oh. She was um she was a she was in a movie called Price Check that I was able to see, which um unfortunately for Parker uh, deserves to be a better movie. <laughs> but she was at the Q&A and whatnot, so it was pretty awesome because she's just this you know, Sundance icon and whatnot. Um, as far as meeting people, I, I did meet Paul Giamatti, which was pretty awesome. Um, 
And then I also met uh, David Carr of the New York Times, which was exciting because I'm a big fan of his. Um, found out later that Manola Dargis was uh, in Sundance, but uh, unfortunately didn't get a chance to meet her, which would have been tough considering that hardly anybody knows what she looks like. <laughs> like no! But no, it was great. I mean, it's it's just it's it's a fantastic environment there's you know free swag being given out all over the place there's you know parties every night it it was just a really uh really terrific environment and kind of as a, a cool cool little story um on i think it was friday night maybe saturday, maybe saturday night i can't remember but i was at this party and i was with some colleagues of mine and we ran into this guy um who my colleague knew, or they were, she was hanging out with him, named Philippe Alardu, something like that. And so we're hanging out with him, and it's like, oh, hi, it's nice to meet you. And then I found out later that he has this film called Monsieur Lazare. And it was sh- on the short list of the foreign Oscar, you know, oh. possible nominees. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, like, we're talking, and then we end up going back to his his condo, a group of us, uh, on Sunday, watching the Giants game. And, like, this French-Canadian dude, like, knows more about football than than I do. And he's sort of, like, educating us and whatnot. And we find out, like, he is so beyond nervous because the Oscar nominees, nominations are being announced at, like, 5.30 Pacific on like, Tuesday morning. And he's just so, like, up in the air as whether he's going to get nominated. So it's crazy because, like, on Saturday night, I meet this guy. And on Tuesday mm-hmm. morning, he's an Oscar nominee. Ooh. Sounds like an episode of Entourage. You know what? Uh, what can I say? You can call me Mark Wahlberg if you uh, simply. <laughs> I don't think anyone really wants that moniker right now. <laughs> yeah, but it was really great. And what was funny too was the movie I referenced earlier, as far as the last movie I saw, was actually one of uh, Philippe's. He gave to a friend of mine. We were able to watch, you know, one of his films, The Last Day, and and be able to kind of um, unwind a little bit. But if you're into the whole Sundance thing, I did write a daily column for Movie Smackdown. And I'll be sure to post that in the show notes. But yeah, uh, say, what, say what it is. Post it in the show notes. And uh, uh, yeah, it was a little crazy to have be a, try to be committed to journalism when you're up at uh, 2.30 in the morning <laughs> and you are rather happy. Let's put it that way. Looking forward to going again. Great. Sounds sounds very awesome. Let's see, you mentioned the Oscars. I'm just curious. Uh, many... Any thoughts on the? Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll probably do a uh, either a special or a there's something in the future with, with, with of course Mark Johnson at BoardContenders.com about about the Oscars. Either probably a prediction thing and maybe even a wrap up show after it. But any any uh, thoughts on the Oscar nominations this week from either of you? Well, I mean, first of all, a surprise Jonah Hill. I mean, that's Oscar nominee Jonah yeah, Hill. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, that's my point exactly. <laughs> So kind of a surprise. I mean, he did great work again. That's one of the, the works that I think that I enjoyed most of Jonah Hill, and I said that during the, the review as well. But yeah, it's pretty surprising for to get an Oscar nomination. And uh, I like how you wrote that it's basically going to be Oscar nomination Jonah Hill in all of his comedies now, just as a big joke. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I tweeted um, Oscar Academy Award nominee Jonah Hill and MTV Award winner Channing Tatum star in the TV <laughs> remake of 21 Jump Street this March. So. I don't know, I look at the Oscar nominations and, and there were certain things that made me really happy like uh, The Tree of Life receiving nominations for Best Picture and particularly Best Director so that, that was great. That was a surprise for me like I didn't see that coming at all. It was... I thought they were totally going to get snubbed. Yeah. I would... So I was really happy to see them you know, get some love. 
I was surprised to see nine nominees. I don't think you need nine nominees. I've been beating that drum for a long time. Um, that I really think it should be cut down again and be back to about five, which is what it was at for years. Uh, thrilled to see Midnight in Paris get nominated. I don't, I don't know why Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close is nominated. Aside from I, I don't either. Persistence, because who's actually seen that movie? Well, not many, and it has the lowest rating of any Best Picture nominee of all time, and it's on no top ten lists at all from critics. So, yeah, a curious, <laughs> curious thing there. I mean, Rudin is extremely persistent and whatnot, but it's like, why? What, what, what are you doing here? Curious I mean, thing there. I know that too, but Max von Sydow, right? Okay, look, he plays this mute guy in the film who is sort of his mentor to the young man. Look, this man is a cinematic legend. He starred in not every, but almost every film Ingmar Bergman made. And this is the movie he's nominated for an Oscar for? This movie? Curious things indeed. Real A real tourist situation, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also snub uh, Drive for, for Best Picture. Uh, or even drive for, for, for anything, actually. I, I got a Best Sound nomination. Yeah, but I mean... That's no, like I know what you're saying. Picture. I wasn't expecting Drive to get a Best Picture nomination. I, I didn't, it would have been awesome. That. That, that would have been a big surprise for me, but Albert Brooks being snubbed for a supporting actor, that was that was, that was the only thing where I'm like, ah, that's a little annoying. May, only only because he was nominated everywhere else for it except the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, there were some... I was really pleased to see um, Kirk Baxter and Angus uh, Wall get for, nominated for Best yeah. Editing for Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yeah, that was awesome. You had yeah, said that I, during the review. Looking, yeah, looking at the nominees for best editing, I honestly think as much as I like, because I like, I mean, we like, we both like that movie about the same. We ex- we know where we stand on that movie. But with that, with that said, the editing was the thing that we did praise a lot because of, for a two hour and forty minute movie, it flowed like a dream. Like it just really like, what makes the movie go. Exactly. So yeah, that, that was surprised to see Rooney Mara get a best actress nomination. I was thinking you almost think like it'd be more of a, a best supporting nomination because she's kind of takes a backseat in her own movie but why are there two songs only two songs yeah i yeah i i actually posted an article i posted a link to mark mark johnson's website or to, to his facebook page for award contenders about why that is but yeah that's ridiculous i'm just happy that one of those songs is the muppets <laughs> and i'm not i'm not sure why there aren't like four nominees for the muppets alone but <laughs> whatever for the first time in i think the history of the category a pixar film an eligible Pixar film was not nominated for Best Animated Feature Film. Oh, uh, yeah. Strange year. And which is not, and, uh, Tintin was also not nominated for Best Animated Film, which is... That is a stunner. I guess it was a little surprising, although that just, you know, that just makes room for Rango to win. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was, Tintin and Cars 2 were not nominated, while two other films, two other animated films that practically no one has heard of until the Oscars at this point were nominated. So that's quite curious as well. Mm. Did you like your prediction for Nick Nolte? Oh yeah, I'm, uh, that was a good one for I'm you. Very, I'm very happy. I'm very happy Nick Nolte is nominated, and I, I still, I mean, it's hard to think that Christopher Plummer is not going to win at this point. But you know, I am still, I'm still, I've stuck with Nick Nolte this far, so I'm very happy to see that he got recognized for this movie. For, There's a really for, cool article uh, that Roger Ebert posted on his blog about um, the notion of people being snubbed and whatnot, and I don't know, maybe we could link it in the show notes or something but it was really really cool as far as you know who people he thought were deserving or undeserving and really surprising actually too some of the people he thought were like i don't think they should have been nominated Mm. who knows i could say that the um i believe you saw this too adam the director's guild was um last night correct yes 
and um, the artist picked up Best Director there, which basically secures that movie for Best Director in Picture. That's <laughs> that sucks. Okay, I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry. Calming down. Calming down. I, Take yeah, down, we, we know where we are with that. I would have been all over um, Martin Scorsese for Hugo, which I honestly still I still think he has a slight shot. I don't think he's going to win, but I think there's still a slight shot that he could go in there, like given how he's picked up other things so far. But yeah, it's probably going to be Mike. Michelle has done a vicious. And again, The Artist is a film that neither of us, we don't dislike that movie. I like that no. movie a lot more than you do, actually. And I know Martin's Mark Hoban's favorite movie of the year, so I know he's thrilled. It's, yeah, it's just... Yeah. It's charming. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not bad. It's just I, I just don't understand the man's love. Yeah. Cool. And yeah, overall, with my react to the Oscars, it's it's hard for me to you know be upset when you know your favorite movie of the year gets the most nominations. So like I'm I'm pretty fine. I don't really care that much about how things went down. And if anything, I I think there's a lot of categories where the there's not much certainty. So that makes me excited just because it seems like there's an actual competition this year as opposed to, you know, this is going to win kind of things that have gone on in recent years, I would say. So I'm curious yeah. to see if that, things are going to work out. I think the artist has a lot of momentum as far as... It does, but it's also... it's. But you never you never know. I mean, it's a long, we have a long ways to go. Yeah. The um the two animated features I could think of the name of one's called A Cat in Paris and the other's called Chico and Rita. So those are among and also Kung Fu Panda Two, Puss in Boots and Rango are the other nominees for animated feature. And the songs, oh uh, yeah, one is uh, Man or Muppet for Muppets and uh, Real in Rio from Rio, which I guess had a good song in it. I didn't see Rio, I'm not sure. <laughs> but another interesting note too is that um, a year after their Oscar win for the social network uh, Trent Sorry, Reznor and Angus Ross were... Atticus Ross. At, okay. A year after their uh, win for The Social Network, uh, Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor were snubbed for Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, so that's uh, interesting. It's interesting. It's also interesting that both John Williams scores got nominated for an Oscar. I can think of many, many scores this year. Abe, I'm pretty sure we all... There's... Yeah, there are, <laughs> there are a lot of good scores last year that I was a big fan of, and so I'm surprised that both of these ones were among those and we missed out on i would have loved to see hannah get nominated that's basically what i'm hitting at i think that would have been amazing i think that score is absolutely fantastic yeah. love to see it that's um, too new age for the academy though I just, yeah well yeah. that's a whole other that's a whole other episode of mark johnson we can go over it another time if the kids like it that much i don't think that the academy will <laughs> uh but yeah i think uh we've been going on pretty while so let's uh let's move on oh one more note really quick oh yeah yeah um one thing that was really cool, too, was to see uh, a separation break out of just the, the foreign category. Oh, yeah. Of an uh, original screenplay nomination. That was that was pretty cool. I was I was kind of, I was really hoping and not that's a separation's fault or anything. I was hoping that see a 50 50 get a nomination actually for best screenplay. Which, that's a really wide open category too. It is, yeah. Category. It is, and I was really hoping Fifty Fifty would kind of make it into that slot. I watched that film again last night actually too. And that's a that's a good movie. I really like that movie quite a bit. But um, yeah, cool. That movie got movie didn't pick up anything, but still good. Um, yeah. So with all that said, let's move on to what we're going to talk about next week. Next week we're going to talk about the film Chronicle, which is a superhero movie disguised as a found footage movie. And um, I'm excited for this. I've been, I've been uh, I've, uh, every bit of marketing I've seen, I've been I'm happy eh with. on it. And I've been hearing really good things about it, so I'm looking forward to it. So, with that said, let's uh, predict the old box office for what Chronicle could do next weekend. It's Super Bowl weekend, not a popular weekend with the box office, but you never know. So, with that said, I'm going. I'm, I'll go this week. I'll go first. I think Chronicle 
could wind up in first place with first about idea I, yeah, I do first place with with about yeah, i'm gonna i'll say 21 million that's where i'm going wait here's a question because i don't watch a lot of tv has there been a lot yeah. of tv press on this i've seen ads for chronicle a bit yes okay. uh i'm gonna go with the uh, seventh place and seventh place and uh like nine hundred thousand dollars okay uh second place 12 million all right. Wow, I sound like an idiot. Wait, wait to try, Adam. Thank you. <laughs> Anytime. Did you say 13, is that what you said? 12. 12. 12. Okay. Just to be clear, Abe said seventh place in $900,000. Just just saying that out loud. Okay. okay Here's so, a question. How much did The Darkest Hour make? How much did The Darkest Hour total or like the in the. End? Was it over a million? For, yes, Abe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good thing these things are solid. So now, moving on. Uh, that's going to do it this week for Out Now Fair Abe. You can find more of my work at my personal blog site, thecodazeek.com, where you can find all my written movie reviews and the posts from this podcast, as well as at whysoblue.com for various Blu-ray reviews from myself and the other fine folks that work at Why So Blue. We also have a special thing that's going to be happening next week with Why So Blue, so that's exciting to tease at right now, but that, that, that'll happen next week, and you'll learn all about that. Uh, you can also find me at Twitter at twitter.com slash aaronsps3. Abe? Uh, you can find more of my work at walrusmoose.blogspot.com, twoanimalswalrusmoose.blogspot.com, and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Adam? You can find more of my work at Things I Know About the Movies, which is located at www.everythingyoualwayswantedtoknow.blogspot.com, at moviesmackdown.com, and at twitter.com slash ilTwinAnarchist. Awesome, and I'll be sure to post all the, I'll post a link to your, you know, your section at uh, Movie Smackdown for all the post you made about uh, Slam Dance and Sundance Film Festival this past week. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you can find all the episodes at Out Now with Aaron and Abe at iTunes, also at hhwlod.com. You can find all our episodes of the show there, as well as the episodes for shows that are also on HHWLOD Network, including The Walking Dead TV Podcast, Legion of Dudes, and other fun shows, all involving games and movies and comics and stuff. It's really, really cool to be a part of that, that show's network. Um, also, you can find most of the latest episodes at outnow.podomatic.com and a few exclusives. Also, email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com where you can praise Abe for having fine things to say about The Grey this week and Woo-hoo! also praise Adam for, you know, filling in even though he hasn't seen the movie, but also giving us some, you know, a nice little sneak preview of some of these movies that are going to be plucked out of obscurity, picked up by a distributor and possibly going into mainstream cineplexes in a the theater near you sometime soon. Yay! That was a long sentence. That was a run-on sentence. It was a run-on, but I wasn't Whoa, Abe is correcting people's grammar. My heart beats still. <laughs> okay, 900,000. Anyway, you can also like our page at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, where you can see all the updates we have. Uh, you know, I post all the shows there, of course, and our blog posts get posted there as well. All of the ones that Abe constantly posts. But uh, yeah, it's a fun... Uh, <laughs> fun I, like, I like the Facebook page. It's fun to, fun to chime in on there. And, uh, yeah, that's going to do it this week. Chronicle next week. And until next time, so long. And goodbye. Alvider saying adieu.
Welcome to the war. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a jumper. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's awesome. <laughs>